0: Sound right? I sound a bit like the Lord booming from heaven there, don't I? Okay, let's read our passage from Mark chapter 8 yet again. And here's the thing about this passage. You should be getting familiar with it by now. I have spoken from this passage for three Sundays, and this is the fourth Sunday from this passage. Can we wring anything more from this? I hear you asking. We shall see. Let's hope so. Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 to 22. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. There you are. It's scriptural to tell you to take your seats. When he taken... See, there's more in this passage than you realized. When he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also. And told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanuta. The disciples came and began to question Jesus. Oh, sorry, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. Then he said to them, Do you still not understand? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray this together, if you dare. You don't know what I'm going to say, so it's very daring. Father God, today I invite you to come into my heart, to come into my thoughts and revolutionize my life. Change me now so that I'm not the same person with the same attitudes and the same thoughts and the same heart and the same spirit when I leave this place. Lord, I invite you in now to change everything about me that you want to change today. Amen. Well, you were very brave. Well done. Thank you. Now, let's just recap a little bit from these last three messages. We started by looking at the two kinds of people that gather around or that are there when Jesus turns up anywhere. We saw there were the crowds who were like the followers and that 99.7% of the people on that occasion were Like that, or there are the disciples, those who are leaders by influence and by the the change that takes place in their own lifestyle. These are world changers, and they in that crowd represented just 0.3 percent. Now, hands up this morning who wants to be in the majority or in the minority? Who wants to be in the minority this morning, at least? Starting out someone. Who wants to be the same as everybody else or different? Who wants to be different? Who wants to be different to the crowd? Come on, who wants to be in that discipleship 0.3%? And we said the whole point of Jesus' teaching in doing all of that was to get the 99.7 into the 0.3. That was his whole intention, was to move them from where they were to being like the 12 that he had close to him, near to him, that were his uh, nearest and dearest disciples. Now, we said there was a problem with that. There was something about the people that was preventing that happening. So let's, John, could you come and help me here, please? Stand on the stage. Put that on. Now you will have seen a lot in the news this week. Just hold that best you can. There we are. You will have seen a lot in the news this week and the newspapers are giving to telling us we are in a lot of trouble as a nation at the moment because of this thing called Brexit. Can I tell you that's Hardly a scratch on the surface compared to the real trouble that we're in of something called sin. Sin is a bigger problem than Brexit. If only we could get out of our sin like we're trying to get out of or not get out of or whatever your position or favourite point is in this other thing. But the Brexit problem is not the problem with our country. The problem is the 99.7% who are like this. Do you remember what this stood for? Do you remember? Somebody bring me a microphone, please. Thank you, Steve. I'm sorry you're not going to get out of this being passive followers in your seats. What does this mean? Mix, what does this mean? It means we don't see ourselves. Okay, we don't see ourselves. Any more? Do you want to elaborate on that? We don't see ourselves as children of God. Right, and anything else? That's all you've got. Okay, anybody want to... We don't see ourselves as children of God. Anybody else want to give us a a take on that? Helen, why don't you... Where's Helen? I was going to pick on her. She disappeared. You run away, Helen. I was going to pick on you. And when my back was turned, you've leapt from the hall there. Wow. Sorry, other Helen then. You're going to have to sort of finish off. Um, We're the problem. I remember you were saying that. Okay, we're the problem. You remember me saying that? Helen, you're not a problem. You're wonderful. Well, you can be. (laughs) You are. (laughs) You can be even more wonderful... If we can get the blindfold off. Now, what does that blindfold represent, Busola? Help us out here. We see ourselves as world changers. Yes. If we could see ourselves as world changers, as who God has made us to be, as this is our purpose. But if we, if we don't see ourselves in that way, we are the problem. Now, John, would you like to take the blindfold off? No problem with John's self-image here then, is there? John, what do you see yourself as in that mirror? A world changer. Right answer, John, here. As week by week, I've been giving you one of these. Please put this on. You are a world changer. That means you are clergy, not laity. You are ministry, not just follower. You are someone who takes the ministry of the kingdom of God into this world and Change yourself through the kingdom and change it. John, you look pretty good in a dog collar. actually. He does, doesn't he? Kind of suits him there. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you a world changer. Why don't you give him a clap? Now, John, my encouragement to you and everybody else is go and live like that leader. Put your shoulders back, your head high, have confidence, speak into those situations, don't be intimidated, uh, bring the kingdom and your Qualification for doing that is saying, Jesus is changing me, the kingdom is at work in me, God is revolutionizing my life, and He can do the same for you. Amen. Amen. Glad you believe it, John. Thank you. Please take a seat. And the rest of us, whether you see it or not, look at the person next to you. There is a dog collar on them, a clerical collar. You are vicars, you are pastors. You are leaders. You are people who are able to change things around you. The the book of Corinthians calls you in the old versions, able ministers of a new covenant. You are qualified, capable, adequate, equipped, able to be those pastors and leaders and vicars and so on. Please welcome the vicar next to you to the meeting and say, Hello, vicar. Now, if we don't get that purpose, if we come to church with the expectation that all you're going to get here is a message that says, be a nicer version of what you could have been, be a slightly sweeter, more polite version of what the rest of the human race is doing, then you are signing up for 80 years whereby you spend, remember, 26 years in bed sleeping, another seven years in bed trying to get to sleep or trying not to get out of bed. You'll spend just over 13 years, 13 years and two months of your life working. And of that, one year and two months will be unpaid overtime. You will spend 11 years looking at screens, tw- uh, what is it? not on here, 21 years sitting down, You will spend, uh, during that time, just over a year on romance and sex. You will spend four and a half years eating. And if you've got the money, three years and just a bit more on holidays. You will, in that time, eat your 479 fish fingers. You will take 7,163 baths, shed 121 pints of tears, dream 104,390 dreams. You will go through 1,033 chickens. You will buy 733 balloons and you'll spend £658 on Christmas crackers. What kind of life is that? I tell you, that is existence. That is not living. That is not eternal life. That is not your purpose. So why live like it? Why live with a blindfold on when you can have the blindfold taken off by Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God and the Word of God and live a different purpose to the people around you? You can live for prayer. You can live for moving in the Spirit. You can live for the kingdom of God being at work in you and truly challenging and changing you. And you can live for speaking that message to others. There is a different way, a different life, a different order of being. It's called you. It's called you the disciple, you the leader, you the world changer. Please shake hand with at least two world changers this morning. Thank you. Now, this morning we come to a real Obstacle for world changes. We already looked at six things to overcome in a previous teaching that are obstacles to our really perceiving and understanding and believing. Things like our ears and our eyes and our perception and our hearts and the the age and the spirit around us, our traditions and and religion and so on. This morning there's something else. There is a battle and a barrier that every world changer has to conquer in some way. Here it is. In spite of seeming to have so much available to us, we have a challenge with our provision. And provision is the title of the message this morning. You see, last year... In the average British households, they ended up £900 more in debt than they started the year. And that's the highest yearly figure since the 1980s. Most of you weren't around in the 1980s. I think some of us were. We won't go into the fashions and the music, but anyway. Anyway. For the first time since then, 30 years or more, that's how serious our lack of provision is affecting the nation. Now, if you go to the Office for National Statistics, this is what they will tell you. That shortfall just last year, it last year's shortfall in the nation was 25 billion pounds. That's a quarter of everything we spend in the NHS. Did you realise that? The NHS is constantly short of resources and money, and a quarter of all their budgets was the overrun on our household finances for everybody last year. Think about that. Staggering. If we didn't all overrun on our finances, and we were able to find that money somewhere, actually, we'll talk about where it was found in a moment, but if we were able to find that money, we could inject another quarter of an NHS budget in one year into itself. Now, all the doctors down the front row go, wow, they're liking this sermon a lot. It would make their life at hospital work and GPs work a lot easier. Is that right for all you health professionals? Would you like your budget increased by 25% in one year? Actually, why don't we give all the people that work in the health service a big clap this morning? This is just an aside, but we really appreciate you and the work you do. Thank you for caring for us so well. Now, that is adding to a big, what we call, consumer credit bubble. It's so big, it's at least $200 billion and and it's, it's unsustainable. Did you know that to fund last year's debt, this is how it worked out, Each person in this country has an average credit debt of £4,009. And total debt on credit cards alone, because we fund that in different ways of debt, by borrowing from here and borrowing from there, or trying to be creative about our accountancy, whatever it is. But credit cards alone, £70 billion. That's nearly three quarters of the NHS budget, just on credit cards alone. If we could all pay off our credit cards, we could fund the health service, a 70% rise. I know they're going to vote for me at the next election, all these hospital workers. (laughs) Now, that works out to £2,586 on credit cards owed by every household in the country. Now, of course, some households don't owe that much. So if house number one in Acacia Drive doesn't owe anything, that means house number two owes double that amount. And if they don't owe anything, or they only owe £1,000, then house number three in a case you Drive owes three times that amount. You can see how much debt and financial trouble our country is in. And listen, here is the problem with that £2,586. If we were to pay this off at the lowest possible payment rate each month, you know they give you a minimum payment each month, do you know how long it would take you to pay that off? How long would it take you to pay that off? 10 years, 50, or 1,000 years? Never. Never. Well, we've got all kinds of guesses here. You obviously think it's going to be long. It would take you 26 years and four months to pay off a debt of £2,586 with the minimum payment each month. Credit card interest rate is obscenely high. One of my own personal beliefs is the government should stop them setting interest rates that high. It is a punishment on people Have such a high interest rate. And if we get into debt of about two and a half thousand pounds, it will take you over 26 years. That's longer than a mortgage to pay off that debt without adding a single penny to it. That's the effect of like 23 24% interest rate, that sort of figure they uh, often charge keeps running away from you over time. You never catch up with it till right at the end. We have. So many problems with money in our country that every day Citizens Advice Bureau handles a staggering 4,475 debt-related cases. And every day in this country, 276 people go officially bankrupt. We have never had so much around us and we have never had so much debt and problem handling our money. Now, if you're feeling a bit guilty and bad there, Good, because I'm going to show you the answer in a minute, but first I want you to feel a bit bad, okay? So if you're feeling a bit bad, that's okay. That's, that's what the effect of this is. If you, if you feel sheepish and guilty, we're not out to condemn you. We just want to get the medicine into you, and you've got to feel a bit sick before you take the tablets. So I hope you're feeling a little bit sick now, because this matters. This matters to world changers. This matters to leaders. One of the great ways we can say to people, ''Hey, I'm different,'' is when your money and your provision is working for you at whatever level you live at. Do you know, I go to lots of meetings uh, where we get together with other pastors. And one of the things they talk about is how much debt their church is in and how much they owe. Would you like to know we are debt-free as a church? We don't owe anybody anything. Did you know that? I go to pastors, they have debts in the millions. And just to service the interest on that uh, uh, debt alone, they could employ one or two pastors with the money. So we're stopping people going into the ministry just to service our debt. Now, I ask you, what's more important? Pastors, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, apostles, what's more important, ministry or money? What's more important? Ministry, because ministry releases eternal, godly, spiritual things. It's much better to have a healing evangelist here lengthening legs and praying for the sick than it is to have gold-plated taps in the washroom. Although if you want to pray for that, we will, you know. I'd love to have the money for gold-plated taps in the washroom. We wouldn't spend it on that, but I'd love to have the money for it. (laughs) Okay. So, let's look now at our passage. And we're going to look at two points again like we did last week. The first one is lacking Provision. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the use of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about having no bread? So if we are ever to be world changers, With the purpose of God in our lives really operating, we have got to conquer this one here and now. And I mean today in this meeting. Something has got to switch in our hearts and minds now because this will hold us back. It was holding back these guys in the boat. Money, provision, finances. The secret is how to make them work for you, not you work for them. That's the secret of being a world changer. Now, you notice we pointed something out last time. In our passage, the disciples are having... I think it was a slide with that last point, wasn't there? Yeah, there you are. If here in our passage, the disciples are having this discussion. We said before, a discussion is usually a polite way of saying they were falling out with each other. They were having an argument a heated conversation a disagreement a difference a fallout they were blaming each other by the way discussions about marriage about money are one of the top 3 reasons for marital breakdown infidelity bad communication and money those are the top 3 reasons in the nation why we are seeing so many marriages break up So this matters. This matters right across the board. This is one of those uh, things that really brings stress and pressure in a marriage. Now, here's a little problem, and it's to do with British culture. Now, those of you that are not British by culture or background, this is your chance to sit back, feel jolly smug about yourself that you're not British – because I'm going to expose the British people to you, and you can say, thank the Lord, I live in Britain, but I don't have to be British. And if you're really kingdom, you're a citizen of heaven, and you can take the same smug look too. Otherwise, here's the challenge. The British are known for being reserved. The Victorians used to say there are three topics you never discuss at dinner. Sex, politics, and religion. But those are some of the best pol- uh, uh, things to talk about. At least politics anyway. And that was a joke for our daughter who used to put us through several years of talking about politics at, uh, at dinner. Great time to talk about the gospel as well. Now, there's something else the British don't like to talk about. We'll get to that in a moment. You know, your age. I was shocked when I went to Central Asia into a different culture and I was introduced to a group of people. And the first thing they said to me was, how old are you? Well, this is funny. Nobody asks you up front, how old are you? But they did. And so I told them my age, which at the time was, well, that's a few years ago when I first started going to uh, Kazakhstan. I'm 40 years old. And they start getting out their calculators, looking at their age, and then telling me whether I looked 40 or not, and whether, whether I thought they looked 43 or 45. I mean, we had this big open discussion about age. I felt culturally uncomfortable. I mean, I felt out of my culture totally. Nobody asks anybody about their age in Britain. I mean, you just don't do that, do you? You know the answer is always 21, whatever the, whatever the, question, whatever the person's age is. So, so why ask? We're not, cov- uh, we're not comfortable with that sort of thing. And money and our provision is another thing British people and British culture is not comfortable with. Could you imagine going into a conversation, you've just met somebody for the first time, Say, oh yes, hello, my name's Henry, nice to meet you. How old are you and uh, how much do you earn? How much have you got saved up? How much do you owe on credit cards? I mean, are you, what? I wouldn't tell my mother those things and I've only just met you. And it, Maybe I would tell you, but I wouldn't tell my mother. I don't know, but... You understand? You just don't do those sort of things. It's not British, but listen. Here is the problem with lack of provision. It brings a feeling on us of inadequacy that somehow we have not done things as we should, or somehow we are failing. Even if we've worked hard for our provision, something isn't operating for us, and we feel bad about it. It's embarrassing, it's awkward, and it brings with it, in a person, a sense of stress, a sense of failure, being overwhelmed, about being worried, stressed, fearful, sick on the inside. And when our finances are in trouble, that's how we tend to get as British. We tend to get really dragged down by it, kept awake at night by it. And the problem is, being British, we can't talk about it. Because that's an embarrassing admission of inadequacy, failure and shame. Now, we kingdom people, world changers, have got to stop being British about our money. At least in some regards. We have got to overcome this stigma, this mark, this social attitude of we can't talk about money. Did you know there are more chapters about money in the New Testament than there are about love? Yet nobody wants to hear a uh, a sermon on money. They want to hear a sermon about love. Well, you know, we'll do some of that. But this matters because it has the ability to pull us down inside, to distract us and stop us ever being the world-changing disciples Jesus has called us to be. It's a bit like being in a boat out on a lake where there's a leak in the bottom of the boat and you've only got like a, 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 a cup there and as fast as you're throwing the water out, more water is coming in and you try to move that cup faster and faster and faster to get the water out and as much as you're moving it, the water's coming in faster than you can bail it out. And the worst of it is, there's no um, flare in the boat. You know those flares you can get in, in for rescue? You fire them into the air, a flare goes up and the helicopter comes along and pulls you out before you drown. Because you're British, if you are, or because you're British in culture, if you, if you work like that, there's no flair you can fire or say, help me, what do I do? I'm sinking. Please give me a bucket, or please come and help me, or give me some sort of patch kit, whatever you need to rescue you from that situation. What do we do? How do we live when there's only one loaf of bread left to feed the whole family? In our case, 13 of them in the boat. The disciples' answer is to forget their world changes, to go back to being what they were, fishermen and ordinary people, and to go back to being like they were. In other words, to be stressed, anxious, worried, fearful to the point of arguing and blaming. And here's the remarkable thing. Sitting in the same boat is Jesus. They've got the only miracle-working son of God in the boat with them. And all they can do is look at each other and fight about this loaf of bread, as we saw last time. Now, in the face of all this, Jesus intervenes. He speaks into their anxiety and he says, what are you arguing about and don't you understand? So that is the problem with lack of provision. It's hard culturally to talk about it. It's 26 years and four months to pay off if nothing is coming to help us. And it's distracting, worrying, limiting, stress-making, keep you up awake at night kind of feeling. Does anybody want to pray for more of that? Does anybody want to be released from that? that we can be really on top of our finances and free to be the world changers we need to be. Well, here's my second uh, and last point here then. Supernatural provision. Say this with me like this. Supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. One more time. Supernatural provision. There's a prize for anybody that can tell me what film I'm mirroring with that quote afterwards. Right. Right. The problem of not having enough is overcome by supernatural provision. So let's let's set this up here. Here, this is going to represent our boat. Um, I can't get all 12 on the stage. So we'll get five, four or five disciples up here with Jesus, please. Please, can I have some volunteers to be Jesus and five of the 12 in the boat? And then we can see what's going on. Okay, guys, better... They don't look like first century disciples much, do they? So Paul's going to be Jesus, because that's the Jesus end of the boat there. Okay. Oh, look, he's come ready, prepared as well. Look at that. Can you see? Here we are. There's a few more here. Fight for those and just give them out and try and put some sort of headdress on. Oh, there's one more. Look, here you go. Here you go, another one here. There will be a prize for the worst one at the end. (laughs) Robbie, you look like your grandma. That's good. That's cool. (laughs) Doug, you look like a terrorist. Christian, you look like the Virgin Mary. Paul, you look pretty cool, as only Jesus would. That's, that's good. Okay, you've got the style queen to help you out there. You look like a nun from The Sound of Music here. Listen, Joel, this is pretty good. Well, here are our fine-looking group of disciples. We can vote on which one to send home afterwards and which one to stay in the beauty competition. So here they all are on the boat, and here it is. I tried to do a bit more of a first-century loaf of bread. This has been brought to us in Time Machine. So here it looks good, doesn't it? Okay, so... Here is the answer to Jesus' question about understanding. Look, Jesus is in the same boat that they are. The Bible says we have a high priest uh, who cannot be, who's able to be touched with our weaknesses. Jesus has walked this earth, he knows what it's like to feel hunger, he knows what it's like to be under pressure for provision. He has done what every single one of us has done. So in this boat are the twelve arguing about this one loaf, and here's Jesus. He asks them about what they've seen God already do as they teach the multitudes, as they minister to the many and do healing and deliverance and minister to them. And Jesus reminds them, he says, Your priority in life is to be with me in the boat, your disciples, your world changers. We didn't leave you behind on the banks there. You come with me. You are ministering with me. You are world changers with me. This is what he says to them Don't you still see or understand? Are your hearts hardened, you thick bunch of disciples? Don't you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Haven't you got it yet, guys? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves and for the five thousand, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They're not very quick disciples, aren't they? (laughs) And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many? Seven. Do you still not understand? In other words, look, guys. Don't you see what happened when you were fulfilling your purpose? When you were with me instead of fishing on the lake to get some income, you gave up the opportunity to go and earn your own income. And what happened? We fed 5,000 people and then at the end, what did you find? 12 huge basketfuls or 12 basketfuls. In other words, God provided for you while you were busy at His purpose. And then with the 4,000, what happened at the end there? We had seven baskets left over. Listen guys, we ate that day. We were fine that day. God met us. Even though you were busy casting out demons and healing the sick alongside me and speaking to the people and passing on the teaching of the kingdom, guess what happened? You weren't able to go out fishing. You weren't able to go and sign on. You weren't able to go and find some way of getting an income. Instead, you worked for me. And what was the result? Listen, there was a provision for you from above. Say it with me, please. Supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. You said, don't you understand it yet? Look, I'm in the boat with you. Bring me the one loaf. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Come, what's going to happen? It's going to be multiple. Well, are you really worried about just one loaf? I think it's another sign for this. Nathan, next slide, please. Are you really worried about what's going to happen? Are you going to be in this boat full of chickens and 121 pints of tears and 479 fish fingers and 7,100 plus baths? Or are you going to be in the other boat which only has one loaf in but it does have Jesus in? I tell you, Jesus is better than 121 pints of tears and 479 fish fingers and 101,033 chickens. Is that right? Some of you think so. So, do you see what the answer is when he says, don't you still understand? Don't you still get it? I'm here. And actually, it was a lie when they said they had nothing. Is that right? They did not have nothing. They had something. At the feeding of the 5,000, they had something is that right at the feeding of the 4,000 they had something but can you see what the human mind is like oh that doesn't matter it might as well be nothing I'll call it nothing oh I haven't got anything I haven't got much you have something and the key is to confess the something you have got and confess the Jesus in the boat and take it to him and say Lord this is what I have thank you for what I do have, can you, Lord, do your kingdom, power, miracle-working stuff in me and my boat? Can you do the miracle with my loaf? Right now, I want you to repent in your hearts, if you can do this, of saying I've got nothing when you know you've got a loaf there, but you've just counted it as nothing. Because the disciples said at the feeding of the five thousand, "What is this much amongst so many?" It might as well be nothing. Humanly speaking, yes. But Jesus speaking, it's a whole different ballgame. So, Jesus, as the Son of God, miracle working provider, the one who calls us to our true purpose to be disciples and world changers, he will take care of the lack of provision. If we A, work our purpose in him as disciples and world changers, B, Think like that and bring our needs to him and see the one loaf that we have got and start there in order to see God work with that. The problem for so many of us is we say we have nothing and we ignore the one loaf. So this is what Jesus does. He gets the loaf. What do you think he's going to do? Wait for this. What do you think he's going to do? Going to give thanks. Give thanks to God. Doesn't Jesus always do that? And then he's going to break the loaf and give it to these guys. And what's going to happen at the end of that? There's going to be more than enough. Can you believe that? One man on this, and they're all going to be really happy. These guys couldn't have been rugby players, could they? I mean, that wouldn't feed a rugby player on its own. You'd need 13 of those just for one rugby player, not one for 13. Or 15, I mean a team. Now, Jesus and the 14 disciples. Okay, so supposing Jesus took them on a little journey and said, okay, boys, let's do the miracle. And Simon Peter, you're going to give the bread out, not me. Oh, now the pressure's on, isn't it? I mean, it was fine when Jesus was going to break the loaf, but now I have to break the loaf. What would you do? You're Simon Peter. Let me get my microphone for you, Joel, Give thanks. Very good. Copy. Yeah. Break the bread. Yeah. And share it. Yeah. How would you share it? By giving a bit to everyone. Giving a bit to everyone. Okay. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Who would you give one first? <laughs> <laughs>
1: who, who are you going to feed <laughs> first? Okay.
0: okay. You're going to give the guy next to you. Okay. Who would you give the bread to first? Jesus. Ah. Ah, now we got something here. (laughs) For those that didn't go to Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus, all right? (laughs) If in doubt, Jesus is the answer, all right? You see, we can think like, poor old Simon Peter here. I give the bread, I do what Jesus does, and I just give him some and give him some and give him some. But if you really want to make this work well, if you were Peter in the boat and Jesus gave you the loaf, and said, okay, Peter, it's your turn to do what I did at the 5,000 and the 4,000. There's only 13 of us here, so not so much pressure on you, except you know these guys really well and they can throw you out of the boat. You do well. How much of the bread are you going to give Jesus? You've been promoted. You're Simon Peter now, Rob. <laughs> Peter, you're not the leader of the disciples anymore, okay? Sorry. Your brother Andrew, he's the. Right, okay, so Andrew the disciple. How much of the bread are you going to give Jesus? All of it. Oh, well, that's, that's really good. It's a good way of doing it. And Jesus has to give it back out. No, that's, that's cheating. You're getting away from it. <laughs> uh. Sounds spiritual, but it's a, a cop out. How much are you going to give Jesus? All, another cop out. How much are you going to give Jesus? Stop prompting your husband here. <laughs> How much are you going to give Jesus? Enough to do the miracle. No, you're doing the miracle. How much are you going to give Jesus? Share it wow! Wrong answer. God does not do equals. Did you know that? He gives five talents, two talents, and one talent. You think equal is a good thing? I tell you, that is a modern lie. That's another sermon another day. But God does not do equal. God does individual. He knows what each person needs. He knows how each one of you is built. He knows how each one of you is formed. He made you who you are. He doesn't do equal. He does personal and individual. And that is better than equal any time. Right. That's that little sermon over and done with There's No extra charge. Right. Nobody has got this right. You're all fired as disciples, all right? (laughs) Jump in the lake and swim for the shore. If I was Jesus, I'd be on my own in the boat. All this time I've been teaching you and not one of you can give me the right answer. The only right answer I heard was from a young lady down here. Women, you are more intelligent than men this morning. No, let me change that statement. Women, you are more intelligent than men, period, all right? This is how it works. Are you ready for this? Right. There's your bread. Now, we're going to get a tenth because that's the Bible says you give that back to God. That's your Now, how can you get a tenth of that with any accuracy? You don't. You give about a tenth, but you're a bit generous, so you make it up a bit more. See, Jesus criticized the Pharisees because they tithe by, they would get the seeds, they would get the baked beans out of the tin. they go, one for God, nine for me. Two for God, another nine for me. Three for God. They would, you don't tithe like that. Some people tithe, they earn 1,118 pounds a month. So they tithe 111 pounds and 80 pence or whatever it was. That's mint and dill and seeds, that sort of stuff. Make it 120 quid. Look, I can't... Some people would get a protractor and dividers out here and they'd <laughs> measure it all out really equally. Look, Jesus, here's your 10%. Hang on to that, don't you? Okay, this is going to go around the rest of you, okay? So, we feed the 12 with what's left. Now, what happens the tenth that's left over it's in jesus hand jesus of course is now in heaven exalted and glorified so he doesn't really need that bread what does he do with it well he sort of gives sorry no he doesn't give it to someone else who needs it sorry he doesn't multiply it no he does something else. he gives it no he doesn't give it to the storehouse these are good answers but they're all wrong he gives it to his disciples. You're, you're, you're warmer, Ross. The men are winning on the intelligence stakes again now. Come on. <laughs> men, you're coming back. You're, 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 you're doing better for the men today. Thank you. This is what he does. The risen Lord Jesus says, Andy Bowie, come here. I have called you to work for me. Here's how you fund it. You see, the 10% is to release the ministry of the work of God. It is to release the priestly ministry in the Old Testament. You know, the 10% isn't to pay for the building. They put other offerings out for that. When they built the tabernacle, they did not take the tithes. The tithes were for the priests. They took a massive offering and people gave all that gold they brought out of Egypt, all that material, all those goods. They gave extra on top of the tithe. The tithe was was for the priestly ministry, to release ministry. Do you know, in this country, we could release one person in every ten if everybody tithed. Think about it, wouldn't it? If you had an aggregate or an average of 10% of people's earnings, you could release the 11th person to be a full-time worker for God in some capacity. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, here is... Thank you, Andy. You can take the bread. Here, a couple more things. You give the 10% to the Jesus that's in the boat with you. You don't throw it into the water or give it to some other boat. You give your tithe where you receive your spiritual life. Some people have a a, a national expectation that if you move to another country, you send your 10% home. We never did that. I had a young disciple. He went to work as a missionary in Uganda. And I told him, you become a member of the national church there. You don't join some white expat community out there. You're not. If you want to do that, stay in the UK. If you go to Africa, you be African. So he did. He joined the church. A, a black African pastor was his pastor and leader. Marvelous man of God. Tremendous, godly man with a world ministry. And he tied to that church. Now, we still loved him. We still supported him from home as well. But he put his tithe into, because that, into that place because that's where his pastor was. That was the man he was releasing to give him ministry and cast out his demons and pray for him when he's sick and encourage him in the Lord and so on. And by the way, that pastor did extremely well. That's who you tithe to. The tithe releases the ministry of the work of God. And the rest then has to go round. Do you know how many people understand this? Do you know how many people have got the blindfold off? It's almost as bad as the statistics I've shown you up there. This is the last uh, survey that I got hold of from the Barna Association in America. In America, 17% of people who go to church claim to tithe. Just 17%, that's less than one-fifth. And of those 17%, when they looked into them, only 3% actually tithed. So America is running all of that ministry on just 3% of what God says should be released to them. Hands up if you know, they're going to be in massive trouble in the future. And I'll tell you why. The 3% of the tithe are mainly over 40 years old. Tithing, giving tenth as a responsible day-by-day, week-by-week thing is not something that the younger generation has picked up on. It's something that faithful older generations have picked up on. And in American churches at least, all their best givers are going to die in the next 15 years or have no income. You heard it here. There is a financial challenge coming to the church because when we take our loaf in the boat, we don't give that first portion to Jesus. We ignore him. And if we ignore Jesus in the boat, all we're doing is being back like we were, not being world changers. We're just being arguing disciples and uh, putting the money around however we can do it. Listen, if you don't give... Jesus, that 10% first, you'll never find it later. Did you know I was personally challenged on this soon after I became a Christian in the following ways? We used to have meetings in those days in the church I was in on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. We still do now. It's interesting how many came to the Sunday morning and how many come to the Sunday evening. I decided a few months after I became a Christian, there was, please sit down, Jesus, you're, you're fine, are um, We haven't finished with you guys yet. There's there's more tests. There's more for you to do. And it's going to be more difficult than you thought. Okay. Did you know, we used to meet twice on a Sunday, and a few months into being a Christian, I was really delighted to have my life changed by the Lord Jesus. I was 18 years and one month old when I gave my life to Christ. And I was happy. I was thrilled and this, this wonderful church was there for me and some of my family were in it and I used to go every week and there was worship and prayer and ministry and preaching and it would encourage me and uplift me that God loved me, that Jesus really had forgiven my sins and this is how we went on week by week. And I, I regarded church as something put on for me, sort of like an expectation, almost like a right really, well, you know, the church building should be open, you should be able to walk in them any time and they should be warm and you should be able to go and pray wherever you liked and never a thought for who paid for any of this. But well, one Sunday, I did something very bad, and God got me. I missed the meeting. Shh, please don't say, because my pastor never found out, and I'd li- I wouldn't like him to find out these days. But anyway, I, I missed the meeting because in our town hall that week was a famous guitar troupe with a famous lead guitarist on them, all this Spanish flamenco stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I thought, Wow. I'd love to go and see this flamenco guitar playing. So I booked a ticket and I paid a lot of money to go to this concert. So off I go to the concert on a Sunday evening feeling very guilty that I'd skipped church. Very guilty that I'd skipped church. Extremely guilty that I'd missed church. Not trying to put anything on you but I was so, so guilty inside. And when I got there, I had... I was in the second row. I mean, I'd paid top price for this seat. I, oh. Well, on the guy came onto the stage, so he gets his. Oops. It's a bit better than that. All that sort of stuff. And he comes onto the stage and all his guitar. And we, we've got castanets, we've got down I mean, it was culturally brilliant. You know, I sat there as miserable as sin sin makes you miserable did you know that that's a good phrase miserable is sin because I knew I was a sinner for being there and this was what the thought was going through my mind it's a great performance but I could have been in the meeting tonight I could have been uplifted in my spirit instead of seeing some guys utterly proud of himself playing to the audience and people are sort of clapping this is such a show it's such a shallow thing I thought the worst of it is I've paid a fortune for this and then I realised something I thought but I expect to go to church and pay nothing. Yet I'll pay for this. What's wrong with my thinking? After that time, I started to give. And some while after, I learned it was biblical to give. That first 10% of the loaf, tear it off and give it to Jesus because that's how the release of the ministry takes place, the ministry that then ministers to my life and helps me administrate the other 90% and get that right too. It's the same for all. Everyone is called upon to give 10%. doesn't matter whether you earn a pound a week, 10 pounds a week, 1,000 a pounds a week. It's the same. That is how God releases the ministry, but it's also how he releases us to be world changers and make the rest go round. So by that time, I'd been a Christian a couple of years. I was giving fairly regularly, but I hadn't really got into properly tithing. But I heard a message like this, and I thought, I am going to take the plunge. I'm going to tithe. Now, in those days, we had a wonderful invention called a student grant. So I took 10% of the grant the government gave me, and I tithed it the very first time. And that left me with £29 for the rest of the term after I paid my fees and hall fees and everything else, I had to live on that. So it was about two pounds a week or three pounds a week for bus fares, lunches, everything else. And I tell you why I tithe. I didn't just tithe on the grant I was given. I also tithed on the fee for my tuition that was paid by the government. Because the Bible says, bring the full tithe into the house, not half it. If it's half it, it's not a tithe or part of it. I was tithing on money I never saw but was being paid on my behalf. That was my faith. Do you know, I never, ever went short in those next three years. I always had enough. Every meal, every need was met. Sometimes very last minute. When I left university, I had no way of getting home. I was, had 32 pence in my pocket. And I was not able to afford the train fare or the bus fare home, the 85 miles back down the road. But that morning, God spoke to me and said, Clive... I put leaves on the trees, I can put clothes on you. When I got back from breakfast, a car was there waiting to take me home. I didn't even know it was going to happen. Somebody from my home turned up and said, we just felt the Lord speak to us this morning to go and pick you up and bring you home from university. That's the provision. That's the loaf multiplying. That's the supernatural provision. That's the way to live. You can't live like that if you don't give your first portion of the loaf to Jesus it doesn't work when you release that first portion it releases something in the spirit it allows God to move in your life it sets you free from the love of money listen you don't have to have money to have the love of money you can have the love of money and be absolutely destitute but be gripped with this fear that I'm not going to have enough but it's giving to God first and being generous through life that releases the hand of God at the time you need it. I've been on every mission I ever needed to go on. God provided the money. Usually at the last moment, he took me right to the wire in faith, but I've never not done any mission God's called me to for lack of resources or funding. God has a way. Say it with me, please. Supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. Now, guys, here's your little test this morning. I've got six of them here, so I'm going to work you in pairs like Jesus did the disciples. Right, you two, you're going to take this bank of chairs here, this is between you, excuse me a moment, I've just remembered something, you'll see why, health and safety, wash your hands first without disinfecting, all right? <laughs> some things have changed since the first century and health and safety laws are one of them here we go here's the bread right you two this is your boat of disciples here you two this is your boat of disciples in the middle you two this is your boat of disciples on the edge here right of course you do haven't you been listening to the message you've been sat on the stage oh my goodness do we have to give ten percent of the loaf first? <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, take me home now. No, no, don't I mean I mean no. Oh, oh, oh God. He said what you were all thinking, by the way, I know that. He you were all thinking the same as he did. I bet you anything. John, where's that blindfold? Oh, here we are. Welcome to my disciples, everybody. This is what they're really like, okay? You know, They're, they're really clever and smart, these disciples. You are more... How many of you were going to give me 10% of the loaf before you started giving it out? Come on. Hands up. <laughs> Honest. You put your hand a bit late there, Christian. I wonder if you're just going along with a the, with the crowd there. How many of you were going to say, give him 10% first? Now, before we give this out, this is part of the conclusion. Make your mind up this morning. Are you going to be part of the 99.7% or part of the 0.3%? Or put it another way, are you going to be part of the 97% and, or part of the 3% who do actually, actually tithe? Did you know most of the giving in this church comes from 22 standing orders? That's it. Now, listen, we're not after the amount. We're after the spiritual breakthrough as world changes in your life. If you only are a child and you get £2.50 a week pocket money, how much do you put in the offering? 25 pence. Listen, we need to teach our children to tithe. Our children did. They used to tithe on their pocket money. You can set this in place with your children now. Give them regular pocket money and then help them have the change to put money in the offering. This is where they learn godly spiritual principles of being world changers. This is what they learn to trust Jesus in the boat and not be like the rest of the world. You say I'm fanciful, okay, but I do not owe 1.75 trillion pounds like the British government. That's the difference. And we want that to be the difference in you. Now, are you ready? Disciples, are you learning? Do you still not understand? Okay, off you go then, disciples. Thank you, I receive your tithe. Thank you, I receive... Oh, that doesn't look like 10% to me. Uh, uh. Well, that was like 5%. I mean, come on. The jo- no, come on, I want a bit more than that. I want the pro- Bring the full tithe into the Lord's house. Come on. That's too... Uh. 10% should be easy math. That's why God chose 10%, so you could do the math, isn't it? Come on. No, that's far too much. Come on, let's get it right here. That's your... Oh, that's, oh, that's about it. I'll take it. Right. Now, you make sure everybody has some. And while they're doing that, Sylvia Folds, come here, please. Sylvia, come here, please. Sylvia. for the priest. I release you in the name of the Lord to be a minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your portion. See? Ben Doherty, come here please. Here is your portion from the Lord to release you in the ministry. Thank you. See how this works? You see how this works? Does anyone else feel the call of God in their life to live, all for the gospel? Really live? Here yeah, we've got release now for the people. We've got release. Now. I've got. A, I've got a youth worker. I've got an evangelist, and I've got that most anointed ministry of all. Ha <laughs> ha! An administrator to make sure the church actually works, and the toilets get fixed, and the phones get answered, and all of you get communication. Hallelujah! We've got ministry. Available. You see that? You see that? Now, how are you gonna live? Gonna live with your money in disorder? And not be those world changers and be just like the rest, or are you gonna live with your money in order. Listen, this is how you get your money in order. Number one, admit it to yourself it's not in order. Face up to it. It is a pickle and a mess. You cannot live without a plan of spending for your money. It just doesn't work by hoping it'll be alright. You can tell if your money's not in order. The bank statements lie on the side unopened because you're frightened to open them. You can tell if your money's not in order because when payday comes, you're longing for it to come. Listen, if you get your money in order, you won't even notice payday coming or not. It will roll by really easily because the provision of God will be flowing in your life the same at the end of the month as at the beginning. This is how it works. I promise you. I promise you it works like this. If your money is a mess, don't be British about it. Speak to your cell leader. We have practical ways we can help you look at your money. If you need proper professional registered help and you have to be professionally registered these days to give certain kinds of counselling. We don't do that but we will put you in touch with Christian people who can do that for you. We will do our best. If you just need your money ordering because you're not in so much debt but it's just a pickle and a mess we can sit down with you go through your finances write it all out. Listen, you're going to have to be disciplined for a while. You're going to have to put off spending especially comforting yourself through money. Comforting yourself, like spending too much on cups of coffee and meals out and buying yourself presents at that lovely place called the Metro Centre. And more and more shops are closing there, by the way. We are in trouble as a nation. Is that not right? Next time you go on the Metro Centre, see how many shops are just painted fronts. Eat it, wear it, make it do. That is the secret of getting your money in order and have a plan. Eat it, wear it, make it to, and have a plan. Has everybody had bread yet? Has anybody not had any bread? We've managed to give everyone some bread. I fed you all before you're going home to lunch today, and we've released a children's worker, an administrator, an apostle evangelist, something like that, anyway. See what's happened? That's what happens when Jesus is in the boat. We just loaf of bread. That's what happens when Jesus is in the boat, and we trust him. Instead of looking at the bread and starting arguing, that's what happens when we don't say I've got nothing, but we say even the little that I have, I am in faith bringing to Jesus. Get practical help from your cell leader. I expect them to be inundated this week with requests for help. That will be a good week. Put Jesus first, and remember this: supernatural provision. Please say that with me again. Supernatural provision. That's how world changers live. Say it one more time with me. Supernatural provision. If we're ever going to be world changers, we have to conquer this one now. Because without the distraction and the worry of the loaf and arguing about it in the boat, we can be free to see Jesus in the boat and go with him in his world-changing ministry, even today. Amen? Have you learned something today? Yeah. Has something touched your heart today? And stand with me, in prayer, if that's the case. Uh, Christian, you can take the head thing off now, you know. It's, it's, it's all right. He's <laughs> quite taken with it. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you a, a minute to pray what you want to pray. Tell God whatever it is you want to. We'll play some music in the background so that you, nobody will hear you right now we want to pray we want you to pray tell god what your commitment what your thought is going to be